Good morning. It's good to see you this morning or be seen by you this morning. Now you can get your Bibles out, open to James chapter 1. We're going to continue our study that we started last week in the book of James. Um, looking forward to our time together, have been all week. I hope that you have already printed your listening guide, or if you haven't, go ahead and do that. I know you've been having some trouble uh, seeing the blanks in the past, but don't worry. We've been working all week, and we've made some great technical advancements, so you'll be able to see those hopefully clear as a bell this morning, get all your blanks filled in, follow along with us as we go. Um, it's interesting to see all of you logging on, and I don't know who you are in New York or California or Maryland, but we're glad you're with us, and uh, it's good to know that people all over the country are joining us to spend some time in God's Word during these times. Also, I just want to let you know that uh, I can see you. We've hacked into your webcam, so if those are your pajamas, maybe, I'm not really sure why are some of you running out of the room right now. But anyway, just kidding. That would definitely make it impossible to concentrate. Um, <clears throat> James chapter 1, or page 1386 in the Pew Bible that you stole from church that's now in your living room. Okay. Um, towards the back of your New Testament, if you get to First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, you went too far back up. Right after Hebrews, James. James chapter 1. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll start together, okay? Father, we want to thank you for today. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that you have providentially led us to this place in Scripture at this time. Thank you for how it is evident to us as a people that, Lord, you are in the midst of us and that you have been speaking to us, will continue to speak to us. Lord, you uh, are never caught off guard. You're always preparing your people and giving us the things that we need to move forward and to flourish in whatever circumstances and situations we find ourselves in. And we're grateful for that. Thank you for our faith family. Thank you for this week, all of the ways that we've been able to love each other. Thank you for all the the busyness and the um, sometimes even exhaustion that comes with these trying times that we're in. But Lord, they're good. Thank you that instead of hearts filled with, with fear and anxiety, we're able to uh, fill our hearts with uh, concern over others and doing good and honoring, glorifying you. Lord, thank you for the gospel that is always been the greatest news, but in these days uh, is such a welcomed relief to so many. And thank you for all the opportunities. Thank you for all my brothers and sisters who have shared their faith, been able to talk about you this week. God, we're grateful for that. Thank you for the time we've been able to spend together with family or loved ones. Or thank you for the time that you've enabled us to spend in your word. God, we're we have lots to be thankful for, and we're going to, as you taught us last week, count it as joy. So thank you for the book of James, what you have for us this morning. Give us ears to hear, we pray, and hearts to receive that we might honor you in the hearing and study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. So as we jumped in last week, we talked about how the book of James is a book. It's written by James, the younger brother of Jesus, who is the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, and how he has written this to a people who are dispersed. They're in dispersion because of uh, what began with the stoning of Stephen and then turned into persecution in Jerusalem. And so God's people uh, had to flee uh, because there was uh, threats against their lives. And because of the things going on in Jerusalem, they had to uh, uproot their homes and their belongings and their possessions. And they find themselves in uh, difficult and unique and unfamiliar places. And it should, it should really be a blessing to us as we think about how, you know, it was several months ago that we determined that we'd be in James at this time and that I knew before we ever started our uh, series on digital Babylon and resilient belief that we would be in the book of James next. And as I was preparing and reading uh, all my different commentaries and books getting ready for this series. I had no idea that we would literally be in a dispersed moment. And I want to explain some things about, you know, a dispersed people. It's a, it's, it's a trial that we find ourselves in, but it's an externally imposed trial where external forces that we have no control over come against us and force us into uh, unfamiliar situations where we lose our freedom in some ways. We lose our choices in some ways. We lose control in many ways. And, and so that's what sort of brings about the difficulty of a time like this is that as I talk to people and minister to people and try to serve people, you know, we find that people out in the world, all the props that we rely on all the time that tell us who we are, and what our value is, they change or they go away. And so people are left, you know, lost. It's like a, a ship without an anchor, confused. They don't really know what's happening. And so it's understandable that there's going to be fear and trepidation that's going to set in in times like this. But we as believers, as God's people, we need to remember some things. We need to remember that although we have discovered or uh, perfected or enacted ways in which we can operate with one another, for example, by being able to stream our services, although we can do these sorts of things to uh, bridge this season, we also need to be reminded that the command to be hospitable has not been abolished or aborted or even temporarily shelved. No, no, we're still commanded to be hospitable people. And so I just want to say a few things before we get started this morning about that. First of all, how, how can you be a hospitable people in a pandemic? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to fear God, not man. Our fear first and foremost is God. And we need to remember that. And we need to remember that as we do that, we, for example, have an opportunity to use time that we normally didn't have. 
So what are you doing with uh, extra time that you have? Many of you uh, have uh, big chunks of time where you are at home that you normally don't have. And I would encourage you to spend that time feasting on God's Word and not on Fox News. It's important to remember that. You know, how, how much extra time have you been able to spend in God's Word while you have been, um, you know, social distancing or quarantined, if you will, or just, uh, you know, cooped up at the house? Use that time for good. Accomplish things. Read a, a good biography that you, you know, haven't normally don't have time to, to read. Uh, I was walking around the church this weekend and I walked by the bookstore and I just looked in there and I thought to myself, you know, here's all these resources that um, maybe you have time to uh, get to. And so I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put um, I'm going to put a big box of books from the bookstore in a container behind the church underneath the back entrance to the church there'll be a box there a container there filled with resources for you to just come and if if you want to read a good book or if you want to this would be a great time for you to pick up a Dave Ramsey book and get your budget in order and 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 you're realizing maybe because of these difficult times that you are not as financially prepared as you should be well this would be a good time for you to get some help in that arena and so I'm going to put some resources back there to help you and encourage you and I would uh, you know I, I want you to feast on that use this time for good also find a way to uh, serve those around I'm so grateful for so many of you I, the stories in our faith family of of the young people who are going grocery shopping for the elderly and picking up prescriptions uh, just doing things for those who are vulnerable so they don't have to leave the house or or put themselves in a compromised situation or babysitting for people you know so that they can go to the grocery store especially single moms being able to do things so they don't when they can go do the things they need to do they don't have to take their kids with them out into public and expose them all of these are just amazing and wonderful encouragements and i know that you know many of you have seen videos posted of people going around singing and all of those things are a great blessing. And I want to I want to implore you to continue to do those things and and be encouraged and I've had so many wonderful conversations with so many of you about your D groups and the things that are still going on and how you're meeting and still, you know, whether it's electronically or you're getting together face to face and how God's working in your D groups and how you're being able to encourage each other and grow in the word and God's working. He's working. And uh, I'm excited about all of the wonderful things that God's doing during this time. So last week we looked at verses 2 and following. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And basically what we said last week is that we need to, we left off saying that we know that there's progress in our pain. That's what, that's what we're trying to get our heads around. How do we count 
suffering and trials as joy. Well, we need to know that there's progress in this pain, that what we're going through, our inconvenience, our suffering, our struggling, our tribulations are not just random events, but these are things that we've, remember James was very specific. He said that we fall into these things, to be engulfed by these things. These aren't things that we've willfully walked into. These aren't things that we've sinned our way into. These are just things that happen, and they happen because this is not heaven. This is earth, and this is what happens on earth. And people who try to make earth heaven are continually discouraged. This is never going to be heaven. It's never meant to be heaven, and we need to you know, dispel the myth and the idea that somehow life was meant to be easy or that we could do things or, or set it up in such a way as it will be easy. It's never going to be easy. The Bible never, ever lets us think that. And we should, we should expect that these are the things that happen in life in a fallen world. And so essentially, uh, adversity is not a sign of God's absence, but our adversity is a sign of God's activity. That God is active in our adversity. That there's opportunity in adversity. Now, responding to trials. How do you, how do you, how do you respond to a pandemic in joy? How do you count that as joy? How do you, how do you count the people that are... I, how do our, but what about our, our brothers and sisters in our faith family that are healthcare workers? And just every day are on the very front lines. How do they count this as joy? And as we pray for them and encourage them and thank God for them, how do you count it as joy if you have a loved one in a nursing home or a rehab facility? How do you count it as joy when uh, people you love are hurting or sick, but they're quarantined or you can't be with them or encourage them or how do you count that as joy? And it seems crazy. And here's, as I've really thought about it this week, there's, there's only two types of people that can count deep suffering and trials as joy. The first type of person would be the kind of person who is out of touch with reality. They just are oblivious. They're either uh, mentally unstable or they uh, live in some heightened level of denial. And so they just refuse to focus on the reality that's around them. But what about the other group of people? Who might that be? Well, they're not, they're not out of touch with reality. They're in touch with a deeper reality. You see, God's calling us to be in touch with a deeper reality than the world in which we live in. And that's what will give us this perspective that we need in order to face these times and be the people that God called us to be. You see, clearly what James wants us to know and what we need to know this morning is that there's something more needed. To be able to respond with joy. Like, how do we do this? Well, what is it that will propel us into a situation where we can do this? 
So if you have your listening guide, here's your first blanks. You ready for this? All right. First blanks. There you go. There's going to be a moment when your life becomes a mystery you can't solve. You see, it's just a fact of life that there's going to be this moment where you wake up and you realize, how did this become my story? Like, I didn't see this coming. Where, what do I, how do I handle this? How do I deal with this? How do I move forward in this? People who uh, just don't have a job because of what's been going on and how I've, I've watched uh, their, their community circle around them and provide for their needs and care for them. But here's the thing. Still, for them, it's this new sort of reality of, well, you know, but how do I, how do I, I can't solve this mystery. I didn't see this coming. There was no, there's no way to prepare for this or to, you know, there's, it's, it's uncharted waters. You can't figure out what's going on. You can't figure out what's God doing in the midst of all this. We don't understand. Why has he brought us into this place in our life? How should we respond? Some of us, you know, you, we've, in the last couple of weeks, we've woken up in the morning and we just have this knot in the pit of our stomach and it's the realization that, you know, we're asking questions that we never thought we'd ask. We're, we're thinking about things we never thought that we'd think about. And here's the thing. When you get to the place where your life's a mystery and you can't solve it, you, you're eventually going to ask the question, God, where are you? Where are you in all of this? And maybe even you... you then begin to doubt. You begin to think like, I, I don't know, you know. Uh, some of the things that the scripture says are, are just seem too, they're too out there. This, these, this first part of James is just too much for me. I can't believe this. It's too far-fetched. I mean, come on, count your trials as joy. And so we start to doubt. We doubt what we believe. We, we sort of doubt where we come from or who we are. And we've all faced seasons of doubt. And in those seasons of doubt, you know, some of us doubt God's goodness. Some of us allow ourselves to become bitter, angry, resentful. Some of us even shipwreck our faith in our doubt. And just spend a season just out in the wilderness. James, listen, he understands this. He's a pastor who loves these people that he's writing to. Who find themselves in this situation. And he, he's preparing them the best he can. He's giving them exactly what they need in their situation. And so I want you to notice how quickly... He moves into this uh, next section, beginning in verse 5. It just seems like we just sort of shift into this new conversation. 
So we go from count it all joy that you may be, you know, that, that God's going to use it to strengthen you and he's going to make you perfect and lacking nothing. And then in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now listen, the topic of conversation here for James has not changed. See, some people mistakenly think that suddenly James is now introducing in rapid fire this new topic, this new conversation. This is the same conversation. This is all one continual thought process. We're still talking about trials, still. So here's what I want you to see, is that God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. See, here's what God, God's doing in this trial. He's, he's bringing us to a place where we didn't even maybe know we needed to go. And certainly we would have never chosen this journey by which to get there. But God is working to produce something in us that we're unable to produce on our own. And that is a key to understanding everything that we're going to talk about today. Is that what we need is something we can't produce. So we need something external to come in to give us, uh, to then become what we need to be able to be the people in the trial that God's called us to be, okay? All right, so let's, number one, here's the first point. The point is, what do we need? What do we need? And the answer to that is, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Look at verse 5. Now he says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So what James wants us to know is that this thing that God wants to do in us, that we can't do in ourselves, it requires wisdom. Wisdom is something we can't generate in and of ourselves. It's the additional ingredient that we need in our lives in order to find joy in our suffering. Now, he knows, James knows, that every single one of his people needs wisdom. Just like I know that every single one of us needs wisdom. All of you this morning need wisdom. We all need wisdom. All of us. And certainly now is a, is a heightened uh, need for wisdom even beyond that which we would normally need. Now, notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say when you lack wisdom, look deeper into yourself. He doesn't say when you lack wisdom, you need to dive you know, deep inside the, within yourself to find it. He's making something crystal clear about wisdom. Wisdom is something external that we need to bring in. It comes from the outside in. See, wisdom, according to James, is a gift from God. Have you ever thought about that before? I think a lot of times 
we inadvertently or subconsciously convince ourselves that wisdom is something that we attain, that we do certain things and then it makes us wise. And so we've sort of generated wisdom within us. That's not what the Bible says. Wisdom is a, is a gift from God. Now, what is wisdom? Let's, let's try to get our heads around wisdom. Or maybe, what is wisdom, first of all, according to James? What would James say wisdom is? Well, let's look at what James is going to say a little bit later in chapter 3. This verse we'll get to in a, a few weeks. In James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise, the Bible says, and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness and wisdom. Who is wise? Let him show by good conduct. Now, James says that wisdom manifests itself in good conduct. He makes this undeniable connection between wisdom and action. And if you know anything about the book of James, then you should already know that everything that James is talking about, everything the book of James is, is going to point us to is going to be about action, about action. And so there's a connection between wisdom and action. So wisdom, you could say it this way. Wisdom says it's not the way you live. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. It's the way you live, not the way you talk. Wisdom is what you do. It's not what you say. Now, of course, you can say things that are wise, but, but what wisdom is is acting upon it. See, James... If you study the whole book of James, as I have for a couple of months, what you find is that there's a, a pattern in the book of James. It becomes crystal clear where James learned all the things that James knows. The things that God speaks through James are things that James clearly learned from his older brother. And in particular, if you look at the things that James talks about in his letter, it comes almost directly out of the Sermon on the Mount. So if James says that there's a connection between wisdom and conduct, where did he learn that? Well, maybe he learned that from Jesus. Look at what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, Matthew chapter 7, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a, what's the word? Wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains descend, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on his house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Then Jesus goes on to say, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now notice how those two understandings of wisdom between Jesus and James are the same way. Jesus connects wisdom to action. You see, he says, 
Rains come, the floods come, the winds blow. Sounds like trials. It sounds like suffering, doesn't it? But the house stands, why? Because of wisdom. And what does the wise man do? He does the things that he hears. But then the second man, the foolish man, doesn't act upon what he hears. And therefore, his life falls apart. So we could say, wisdom is the application of truth. Now you notice both men have the same information. The difference between the wise man and the foolish man is not information. The difference between the wise man and the foolish man is not the trials that they face. It's the application of the truth. So we live in a, in a time, in a space right now, where all of us are facing the same essential winds, rains, floods. Some people will be able to respond wisely and others will respond foolishly. And the wise person will respond by putting into action the things that they know to be true. See, but all of this is in the context of wisdom being a God-given gift. It's a God-given gift. It's a gift from God when you and I are able to hear God's Word, read God's Word, study God's Word, and then understand it, take in the knowledge of God from the Word of God, and then put it into practice. It's a gift. So we could say wisdom, maybe we could sum it up this way. Wisdom enables us to live God's way in God's world. That's what wisdom does. It's a gift that enables us to live God's way in God's world. And it applies to all of life. Wisdom, wisdom is so much more than just knowing. Listen, you can know in your mind that you are to rejoice in the midst of suffering. But it's going to take wisdom, James is saying. It is absolutely, without wisdom, there's no chance that that's going to come to pass. But with wisdom, wisdom will enable us to, to, to count it all joy in the midst of suffering, to respond rightly to the trials that we face. Now, I want to say something about what wisdom's not, because I want to make sure that there's no confusion amongst us. Wisdom does not mean that we fully understand the circumstances in which we find ourselves. There's a, an expectation in, in our culture in particular, in this culture right now, in your culture and my culture, there's an expectation that must die. And this is it, that wisdom is not full understanding. It is not full understanding. Listen, that expectation of full understanding that it's got to die. It's got to die. God is weaving the details of your life together. At which time everyone says, Amen. But I'm not done. He's weaving the details of your life together from a different perspective. 
He's not weaving the details of your life together from your perspective. He's weaving them together from a higher, infinitely more wise, supernatural perspective that you and I will never have in this life. We'll never have. Wisdom is not full understanding. And, and we should embrace that. We should be grateful for that. Because it should just make us more in awe of the glory and the splendor of the great God who we have the privilege of serving. So number two, how do we get it? If that's what we need, if what we need is wisdom, well then the next question is, well, how do we get it? And for that we look, look again at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, let him ask God. Let him ask God. Now, when you think about wisdom in the Bible, what do you think about or who do you think about? If I say, when you think about a wise person in the Bible, who do you think of? And most of us would think of Solomon. Solomon would be the epitome of wisdom apart from Jesus in the, new, in the, in the Bible. And Solomon was uh, regarded as the wisest man who ever lived. Kings and queens from around the world sent delegations or traveled for uh, months to come to glean from his wisdom or to ask him questions or to see the, the, and marvel at the way in which he could understand and do things. He wrote what we call in the scripture the wisdom literature. He wrote the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, books that just exude this amazing and unbelievable wisdom. But how did Solomon become so wise? That's the question. Was it a great education? Was it that he, he had such a great upbringing that he gleaned all of that wisdom from his father, David? Was it that he had some great diligent work ethic? Was he just born with this immense high intellect or aptitude? No, the scripture tells us how he got it. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. At, at Gibeon, the Lord answered Solomon in a dream by night. And the Lord said, ask, what shall I give you? And so you know, if you know this passage, that what happens is, then in verse 7, Now, O Lord, Solomon says, You have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am but a little child, Solomon says. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen to be a great people, too numerous to be numbered or to be counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge or to govern the great people, a great people of yours. Now notice how what Solomon said is I am just a child and I find myself in this situation of leading. And so he, he feels he's not equipped to do the things that he needs to do. 
And so God says, well, ask whatever you want. And he asks for wisdom. This external gift that God gives him the same way that God gives it to us. And so James is saying, do the same thing Solomon did. Ask for wisdom. And I also find it very interesting that in that passage from 1 Kings chapter 3, that what Solomon says about wisdom is he says, I do not know when or how to go out or to come in. In other words, remember we said that wisdom is doing, it's application. And Solomon wasn't saying that I, I don't know what to think. He didn't say, God, I don't know what's true. He wasn't asking God for truth. He was asking God for wisdom. He said, I don't know what to do. I'm in a situation where I have responsibilities and I don't know what to do. And what I need is wisdom. I can promise you that asking God for wisdom is a way of life for me. I mean, every day of my life, I'm in a situation where I don't know what to do. I feel ill-equipped. I feel like I'm, you know, in over my head. And I need God to give me wisdom. I need God to give me wisdom to show me what to do and how to do it. And so we get wisdom the same way that Solomon did. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you asked God for wisdom? When was the last time that you specifically and intentionally asked your heavenly Father for wisdom? Maybe you were genuinely seeking wisdom and you opened up the scripture and started reading because you wanted to gain wisdom and you maybe uh, called somebody and talked to them because you wanted wise counsel. But I'm asking you, when did you just ask your father to give you wisdom? You see, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. Ask him. Now, when it says, let him ask God in verse 5, that's the present tense, indicating that there'll be a continual asking. This isn't a one-time shot at wisdom. You don't just ask for wisdom once, and then you have it, and you're good to go. I think that's another misconception about wisdom. I think that we oftentimes believe, or maybe we're taught as children, that Solomon just asked one time for wisdom. God gave him this dump truck load of wisdom, and then he was set for all of his life. No, no, that's not how it works. It's a continual process of asking. When it says, let him, let him ask of God, it's, it, what it means in the original language is it's saying that let him go on asking God for wisdom. As situations come, as trials come, as unforeseen, unexpected uh, moments in your life when your life becomes a mystery that you can't solve, what do you do? You ask God for wisdom. You ask and you ask and you ask and you go on asking. It's a continual process. You ask today. You ask tomorrow, next week, next month. When you need it, you ask for it. That's what you do. Trials come. 
And what do they do? What did we learn last week about trials? Trials are used by God to strengthen us. And in order for them to do that, they have to push us past our normal range of insight or ability or our normal range of wisdom. God uses trials to drive you past you. To drive you past you. All of the trials in my life, God's used them to drive me past me. And so why? What does it do when I get, when I find myself, you know, I'm overextended. I'm beyond the, the, the bounds of my ability to handle or process or deal with it. Well, when you get to the end of yourself, what do you do? You cry out for help. You ask for wisdom. You see, if you think about it, if you got wisdom in advance or if you could store up a bunch of wisdom, it would defeat the whole purpose. The whole purpose of the trial. God doesn't, God doesn't give you everything you need in advance of the trial. He gives us some of what we need. But there's a, there's a purpose in the trial. Remember, there's a promise in the path of pain. And that promise is that it's going to push us beyond our normal bounds. It's going to push us out of our comfort level. It's going to push us to places we wouldn't normally go on our own. So that we're going to have to depend upon Him. If I could store up the wisdom that I needed... then I would just be self-confident. In fact, here's the way I word it for us this morning. Trials are meant to release us from the bondage of self-reliance. That's what the purpose of the trial is. Is to release us from the bondage of self-reliance. So if you could have wisdom stored up, it would keep you in bondage. Because you would say, well, I have what I need. I know what to do. I know... Now, how does wisdom typically come? Well, I mean, we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and in that study we talked in depth about wisdom and how wisdom most oftentimes comes through the Word of God, where the Holy Spirit will enlighten our hearts to receive insight. That's the only way that happens. And, and the beautiful thing about it is, is that it's regardless of your intellect or your ability. It doesn't, it's, it's not, you don't, people don't get insight because they're, they're smart or they have high IQs or they excelled in school or they have advanced degrees. No, no. Not in God's economy. In God's economy, we come to those who are hunger, hungry and thirsty. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're filled. They're filled. That's God's economy. And so we receive it through the Word of God. And sometimes wisdom comes through to us uh, through the wise counsel of others. It, but it always comes to us from God, not from people. And you need to remember that. You need to remember that wisdom comes from God. Wisdom, you're not, you don't, you're not getting wisdom from me. 
If, any, if anything, if there's any wisdom that you get from listening to this, it's because God gave me wisdom and you're getting wisdom from God through me. It's not my wisdom, it's his wisdom. And the same thing goes when you seek wise counsel. I always have to remind people when they come to me for counsel about something that you're not seeking wisdom from me. You're seeking wisdom from God. So be careful not to discount wise counsel based on the experience of the vessel. Okay? You see, oftentimes um, it, it can be very helpful. And we know because the Bible says, uh, Paul says to the church in Corinth that the trials that we go through, God's going to use them so that we can minister to people who go through the same trials. And there's great comfort when, you're, when God puts somebody in your path who's been through something that you've been going through and they're able to speak wisdom into your life because they've walked through those paths together. Isn't that a blessing? That's wonderful. But what about the times in your life when God is speaking wisdom to you through a vessel that doesn't have your experience? Don't make the mistake of discounting. So, I mean, think about it. I would have to be, I would have had to experience every possible thing in the world in order to pastor a church this size there's so often times where i'm giving counsel through the word of god to people about things i've never experienced those things but i know what god says about those things and so it's a gift from god it is not a it's not something we get from people and remember that when you uh, if you feel discouraged because you feel like you're going through something that you don't know anybody else who's gone through that or has experienced that and that discourages you because you, you want people to be able to relate to your situation, then I want to encourage you this morning. God can relate to your situation. Whatever your situation is, God can relate to it. He's the giver of all wisdom. When, you, when we find ourselves as a culture in a dispersion like now, well, none of us have ever been in a pandemic before. None of us know what to do in this particular situation. None of us were uh, alive in 1914 when the Spanish flu killed uh, millions of people. I mean, imagine 50 million people plus died in 1914. 50 million people. But we don't know them. They, they can't speak to us and, and tell us about that. You know, we weren't here for the Black Plague in the 14th century when 50% of the population of Europe perished. So, there's nothing new under the sun, wisdom says, but it's new to me and it's new to you. 
It's new to us in this moment. So he says, let him go on asking. Let him go on asking. Why? Because it's a continual process. We keep asking for wisdom. Wisdom is not an outline. Wisdom is not a theology. Wisdom is not a a set of answers. First and foremost, here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is a person. It's a person. Wisdom is a person, and his name is Jesus. Wisdom is a person. You you don't gain wisdom by research or experience or... uh, No. The primary way that you gain wisdom is relationship. Relationship. Wisdom is a person. And you gain wisdom through relationship with Him. Now, kind of seems a little bit like what James said to us last week. It seems like we... We might be taking something very complex and, and way oversimplifying it. Like, come on, James. Are you telling me that in this moment of crisis, in this moment of trial, in this moment of... I mean, some, some of you are facing some very difficult times. And you're afraid and you're scared. And it seems a little bit cotton candy to come along and say, well, you need to count it as joy. And if you lack wisdom, you just need to ask God for wisdom. It just seems like, can it be that simple? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, the Bible says, and without reproach, verse 5, and it will be given to him. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith, James says. That there's a a condition to gaining this. There's a condition to receiving this. Getting wisdom is going to require that we ask. But it's going to require that we ask in, in, in such a way. Now this isn't like snagging you up on a technicality, okay? What this is, is is asking someone that you trust. You ask in trust. What I need you to focus on is that is not that, you know, if you're if you're thinking in your heart right now, I knew there was a catch to this. So when I'm asking for wisdom and I don't get it, it's because I didn't ask in faith. I didn't have enough faith. And so here we go, and it sounds like the prosperity gospel. No, you're wrong. That's not what the Bible's teaching at all. Not at all. This isn't hanging you up on a technicality. I want you to understand what the Scripture's telling us in verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. Focus on this fact. According to the Bible, when we ask for wisdom, God gives it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it to all. Notice it says, to all liberally. He gives it to all. 
and without reproach. He gives it. God gives it. It will be given to him. The God who gives wisdom is a generous God. And I want you to understand this morning, there's no reluctance in God to give wisdom. It's, it, there's no reluctance in our Father that we have to overcome in order to get wisdom. This isn't what this whole issue of asking in faith is about. It's not a hurdle that you need to, to, to get over in order to get to the prize of wisdom, the elusive you know, prize of wisdom. That is not at all what the Scripture is saying. What the Scripture is communicating to us this morning is that our God is a constantly giving God. He's a constantly giving God. Constantly giving. He loves to give. Listen, look at what James is telling us. He's telling us that the God who is constantly giving, not only is he generous, but he gives to all liberally and without reproach. Do you know what that means, without reproach? That means that when you come to your heavenly Father and you ask for wisdom again and again and again and again and again, that what you never hear from your heavenly Father is, oh, it's you again. God doesn't say that. He welcomes you into his presence. He invites you to continually come. Listen, how did you get to the position where you needed to get wisdom? God, your loving Father, has allowed circumstances to come into your life that has forced you to be beyond yourself so that you were in need of wisdom. He created the need that drives you to him. And then he, so why would he refuse to give you what he drove you to ask for? You see? You see how God has set this up for us to win? He set it up from the beginning. His generosity is so apparent He gives to all without reproach. He loves to see us coming. Because you know, when we come to Him and we ask for wisdom, you know why there's no reproach in that? It's because it makes Him smile. You know why? Because it means that we're rightly responding to the circumstances and situations that he's placed in our life. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of what really and truly is a good and loving father. And then that leaves us with one last question. What hinders us from having it? What hinders us from having wisdom? Now, let's begin in verse 5, and let's read the passage again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind 
Again, this illusion, that's wisdom, and it comes back to the same thing we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. Tossed by the wind, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So you see, there are, there are times and there are people who come to God for wisdom and don't receive. But I want you to understand very clearly why that is. It has nothing to do with reluctance on the Father's part. Nothing. He desires, his entire goal is for his children to come to him and ask for wisdom. But there are things that his children do that hinder, that hinder receiving wisdom. And what is that? Well, I think the Bible would classify that as saying, well, doubt. Now, James is not saying that if you've ever wondered, you know, how, how can I know for sure that this is true? Or if you've ever wondered whether or not the, the word of God is true. God's not saying that if, if that's ever been you, that you can't ask for wisdom. That's not what this is about. Listen, every thinking, discerning person doubts from time to time. If you're thoughtful, you're going to doubt. If you're, if you're a thinking, rational person, you're going to doubt from time to time. The doubting that James is talking about is the refusal to trust completely in the person that you're asking. Now, I remember maybe a month or so ago when I was diving into this section of James and I got to this point and I started just realizing how many times I've lived this out in my exactly what this is teaching in my own life. You see, the Bible is, is showing us how God hates doubt, but it's not the kind of doubt that we think of. This is the kind of doubt that God hates that calls his character into question. To the kind of doubt that refuses to trust God. It's because when we, when we have this kind of doubt, what we're doing is we're, we're declaring that we believe that this God is potentially untrustworthy. James is not saying that our faith needs to be perfect. He's not saying that you, whenever you come to him and ask him for wisdom, you have to be spiritually at a 10. It's not what he's saying. In fact, oftentimes when I come to God and I'm asking him for wisdom, I'm at a depleted point spiritually by design because of the things that I'm facing in my life have pressed me beyond myself. What James is saying here is that when we come to God, we must come with confidence that He is who He says He is. We may not understand that. We may not know how to apply that. We may not uh, be able to wrap our minds in any way around that. But here's what, what, what we know. We know that we're not Him. I mean, this was sort of the, the, uh, the, this was the, the moment where 
God saved me and I became a Christian. The day that God saved me was, was the day that I came to the end of myself. And my exact words to God, the day that He became my Lord and Savior, was I said to Him, I said, God, I don't even know if you're real or if you're true or if I don't know what's going on, but here's what I know. I know that I'm not what I need to be. I know that I don't have the answers. I know that my way doesn't work. I know that what is in me is insufficient. And I'm coming to you and casting myself upon you in my insufficiency and asking you to be sufficient. You see, I came to God in complete trust. I wasn't coming to Him, you know, holding back, thinking, well, you know, I, I mean, I've got some things going for me, but I just need a little extra kick. No. I came empty, hoping and praying that God would fill my tank. And you know what He did? He filled it with grace. That's what He did. That's what God's talking about here, is that we come with confidence. See, and the way I know this is because verse 8 describes what are we talking about. This is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, what does that word double-minded mean? It means to be double-souled. S-O-U-L. Sold. To have two souls. It, it, it means to be have a divided loyalty. See, Deep down, this person who is doubting is coming to God. They're, uh, they're coming to God, but their soul longs to be in control of their circumstances. Now, remember I said when I was studying this, I thought, my gosh. When this became clear to me, I realized how I live this all the time. See, I live this because... Of my position. People come to me and will tell me about their problems and their situation and their circumstances because they, they want to be able to tell people, well, I went and talked to the pastor about it, but that didn't do any good. I mean, I tried to get help or I didn't. But people come and they talk to me, but I can tell that their mind is already made up. That they're going to do what they're going to do. But they're talking to me. And it's this strange moment where you're like, why are you talking to me? If you aren't really interested in what I have to say or what God's word has to say, say about this or doing those things. You see, this is exactly what James is talking about. That you can't come to God and ask for wisdom when you've got a plan B in your back pocket. doesn't work like that. God won't fall for that. He's not going to speak into that. The doubting person is coming to God. They're coming to God. But if the wisdom that God gives them doesn't make sense to them or doesn't work out the way they want it to be, then they reserve the right in their heart to do what they're going to do. 
And boy, I just get this. I get this. And then I thought about how we all at times do this. Like we've already made up our mind. We're double sold. We've already made up our mind what we're going to do, but, but we'll pray about it. We'll ask others to pray about it. But we're really already made up our mind what we're going to do. So what are we, why are we praying about it? Why are we seeking wisdom about it? See, the double sold man, he thinks that, you know, it would be nice if I knew God's wisdom about this situation. But before I commit to obeying it, I'm just sort of in the, in, the, in the exploratory phase of this. I've got a decision to make, and so I want to know, you know, I want to I know what my parents think, or I want to know what my coworkers think, or I want to know what my spouse thinks, and I want to know what God thinks. And I'm just I'm gathering information, then once I've gathered all this information, then I'll decide whether or not I like it. These are the people who, if you tell them what they don't want to hear, then they just go and ask someone else. And the reason that they feel dry and parched, and the reason why they wonder why God's not speaking to them is because they're double-minded. Is because they're not, their heart is not, in the right posture. They're not coming to him with confidence that they're going to, they want to know what he has to say because they don't have any other options. You see, what the double-minded person really wants is God's blessing on his own way. That's what the double-minded person wants. And if we're honest, we've all done this. We've all come to God and we've all asked him for wisdom while in our heart we want it our own way. And what is the result when a person has this posture? Well, look at what the Bible says. They become like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And then he goes on to say they're unstable in all of their ways. Yes. Have you ever seen a person in this situation? Have you ever been in this situation? Are you in this situation right now? So many faces fly through my mind as I think about a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, unstable in all their ways. I think about Thousands of conversations with panicked people who seemed like they were on the brink of disaster and their, their, their heightened sense of anxiety and stress would tend to make you believe at first that whatever it is you had to say, they would be so willing to listen or do. But in reality, all of that angst is all just because they're being tossed about, driven by the wind, and they're unstable in all their ways, and they really have not set themselves. They're not interested in doing uh, what God says. They already have an agenda.
And so what James says is, verse 7, for, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Wow. That sound harsh to you? Listen. It shouldn't. It should just be a, a, a graceful reminder to all of us. The gospel is for the weak. The gospel is for the unable. The gospel is for the fool. The gospel is for the one who in humility will admit, I can't do it. That's what the gospel is. That's who the gospel's for. God gave his son. He gave his own son to the worst affliction ever suffered by man. No one has ever, no one will ever walk through a trial like Jesus. When you think about what does it mean to be pushed beyond yourself, think about the Son of God broken, beaten, bloody, hanging on a cross. The totality of all of our sin laid upon him, levied against him as he bore that punishment, that unthinkable punishment. And his father finally looks away from him. What does it mean to be beyond yourself? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why have you forsaken me? And then he let him die. He died and was buried. And in that, in that moment, is the, it is the wisest and most generous thing that our Heavenly Father has ever done. Ever. I mean, think about that. It's where the glory and the wisdom of God are most clearly seen. Is in this moment of, of, of being so beyond yourself, so stretched to the, to the nth degree where trial came to bear in the most intense possible way. And in that moment... Listen, I want you, to, I want you to, to see the picture that God gives us and then bring that into the framework of your present reality. The suffering of the Son who took the judgment of the world upon Himself on a cross in order to righteously and perfectly bring salvation and blessing to all who would trust in Him So that today, right now, in a pandemic, whether you're a, a first responder or whether you are a, a health care worker, whether you are sick right now, whether you're running fever and feeling ill and waiting for the results of a test, and on pins and needles, whatever your situation is right now, whether you're brokenhearted or you feel alone or whatever the situation is, in that moment, 
What God did on the cross is so that in this moment, there would be no reason for you to have a divided soul. There'd be no reason for you to be double-minded. Because what? look at what God has done. God comes and he says, when you find yourself in a foreign land, when, you, when, when, when digital Babylon goes haywire, when you, when you look back and you say to yourself, God, how can I, how can I, how can I remind myself that you are weaving together the details of my life from a perspective that I don't have. Well, what about this? What about the fact that we talked about being exiles for six weeks when nobody even knew what COVID-19 was. We never even heard of that term. And we're talking about being exiles. We were talking about how the world is positioning us. Digital Babylon wants to estrange us from one another. And how we are a people that are driven by community and togetherness and service and love and all of these things. And that digital Babylon is, is trying to isolate us. And we could have never known that all of this was going to happen. And at the same time. All of this news breaks and we're, we're trying to, you know, the, the government is asking us to, to do things and to make concessions that we don't want to make. And, and if you know me at all, you know that one thing I'm not is a conformist. And that when it comes to Buckling under to pressure, that's not my way. And so there's this thing inside of me that wants to rise up and say, wait a minute, no. We're, we're not going to change. We're not going to adjust. We're not going to do things a new way. We're going to press on. We're going to trust God. We're going to have faith. We're going to do these things that we're going to keep doing what we've always done because we know that's what we ought to do. But that's not what I did. You know what I did? I realized that I was beyond myself. And so I asked God for wisdom. I said, God, I need wisdom. Because I don't know what to do. There's no manual on this situation. How do we... What do we do? How do we respond? Where do we go? And you know what God reminded me of? He reminded me, he said, didn't you? You just got done preaching on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. Through the Made for More series. And he reminded me of the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. 
And God gave me wisdom. He reminded me that as a shepherd, my, my job is to be a preserver of life. As believers, we are to be salt. We're to be salt to the earth. That, that we don't compromise life, we preserve it. We don't, we don't put people in jeopardy. We minister to people who are in jeopardy. And that's when I knew. That's when I knew we were going to have to adjust for a season. I knew that, what, that we, we have, a, we have an, a, a responsibility as God's people to preserve His creation and to be good stewards of the place that He's... We've, we have a responsibility to do everything in our power to flatten the curve. And anyone that tells you any differently is double-minded, in my opinion. It's not an issue of faith. It's an issue of wisdom. It's an issue of wisdom. But in the midst of doing everything in our power to flatten the curve, God positions us to do everything in our power to lessen the, the brunt or the blow of the pandemic to the people around us. That we don't put people in jeopardy, but we serve the people who are in jeopardy. So let me tell you what, what, what I do and what so many of you have been doing. I'm not going to put people in jeopardy. I'm not going to compromise someone else's health, especially, especially those who are vulnerable. But I'm also not going to live to protect myself. No. I'm going to do and I'm going to go and I'm going to be the hands of feet and of Jesus in every possible way that I can. I'm going to serve and I'm going to love. I'm going to cry and I'm going to hug every way that I can. I'm not going to put anybody in jeopardy. But I'm going to do everything in my power to love people who are in jeopardy. And to bring the gospel to bear on their situation. That's wisdom. And you know what? That didn't come from me. That came from God. That came from God. And you see, we, we've, been, we've been brought to the foot of the cross. We've, we've looked up and we've seen a risen Savior. We, we know that He's purchased our salvation, that the point of His death and the point of His suffering was for our salvation. We know that the freedom that we possess has been bought with His own blood. 
then if all of that is true, if all of that is true, then can I just implore you this morning? Why would you not trust him? Don't be double-minded. Based on all that he's done, can't we entrust ourselves to him to give us what we need in a moment of crisis that we wouldn't even be in if it were not for a sovereign God allowing us to be here? Of course we can. Even in the midst of our own unspeakable suffering and sorrow. God is good and He's loving and He's kind and He's available. And He says to you and me today, just ask me for wisdom. Come to me. Bring, bring your broken beyond yourself to me. Bring all of your circumstances to me. Bring them to me. And ask me for wisdom. And I'll give liberally without reproach. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? Look at Psalm 50 verse 15. Maybe you should write this, card, write this on a 3 by 5 card and put it on your mirror or carry it around in your pocket. Or So many of you have been sending out verses every day, texting them to everybody, encouraging people with God's Word. I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Here's an amazing passage. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You know what that's a promise of? That's not just a promise. That's not just a promise that when you are in trouble and you call out to him that he will hear you. That's not what it said. It didn't say that I will hear you. He said I will deliver you. That when you call out to me in desperation, I will deliver you. And you will glorify me. You know how you'll glorify me? You'll glorify me because I'm going to give you wisdom. And whenever you act in my wisdom, it brings me glory. Because it shows the good works of your Father to the world around you. Yes. Don't you see? Look at how good God is to us. We're not, we're not going to throw a party for the pandemic. We're not walking around whistling and, and singing because there's a pandemic. No, no. That's not what the Bible's calling us to do. But we can count it as joy in our heart that God has chosen us for this time to be his people, to have these opportunities, to live in this moment 
And he's saying, don't worry, I'm with you. I'm with you. And whenever you get beyond yourself, ask me for wisdom. And I won't just give you a taste or a drop, but I'm going to give it liberally. Just keep asking, keep coming, and I'll keep giving it to you because I love you, because I love you. So get out there in the pandemic and glorify God. Glorify God. Saturate your heart with His Word in, this, in these down times, in this season. Devote yourself to... This, this is an opportunity for you to become a, a prayer giant. A service master. An encouraging operator. Pick up that phone. FaceTime people. Call people. Encourage them. Ask them how they're doing. Just listen to them. Check on them. Serve them. Be a blessing to them. Man, I love you. And I miss you so much. But we can count this as joy. In the wisdom that God gives us. Remember, remember, your weakness does not keep you from your Lord, but your delusions of strength do. It's okay, sheep. It's okay to feel weak. You are weak. We are weak. This is meant to remind us of how fragile we are and how fragile life is. But we can count it as joy because we're here by the divine design of our Father together. Together. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for this time in your word. Lord, thank you that you know exactly what to say to us. I'm just speechless that these are the, the texts that we have before us in these days and that I didn't have anything to do with it. That is yet another reminder of your weaving. God, thank you for weaving the situations and the details of our lives. Thank you for your perspective that's not ours. Thank you for this faith family for the love that we have for one another. Thank you for the care that's being shown within it. Thank you for all of the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of amazing and wonderful things that have happened just in this short time already. Thank you for the new and wonderful spiritual growth that you're birthing in so many lives right now through this difficult situation. And it's a reminder 
that you know what, when we can't meet together in church, when we can't sing together and do the things that we used to do, that we like to do, that we think we're supposed to do, that when we can't do any of those things, you are still God. Thank you. We count it joy to be counted by you as a son or a daughter. And so this morning, if we don't know you, may today be the day that we come to know personally the one who is wisdom and that we enter into a saving relationship with wisdom. Thank you that you stand ready to receive, to grant, to give. What a good God you are. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. Encourage somebody today. God bless you.